Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down with Mr. Todd Hirsch. Todd is a vice president and senior economist at ATB Financial. Todd brings a very broad perspective to the conversation of the economy as a long-term economist, as someone who spends his life looking towards the future, reading indicators and building dashboards to help give us in everyday life a perspective on what's actually going on. He travels from top to bottom to, he said, almost every, don't believe that he believed there was any small town or community center or hotel he hadn't spent time in in Alberta. That gives him a very unique view on what's happening in different communities and what we can learn from the communities that have fared better than others during this downturn. Join me for an uplifting, entertaining, informative conversation with Mr. Todd Hirsch. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm sitting here with my guest, Mr. Todd Hirsch. Good morning, Todd. Good morning, Tyler. Thank you so much for coming in and taking time out of your busy day to chat about something that I think is close to both of our hearts, Calgary. Absolutely, and pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So we chat a little bit, I think, for you are very well known in the city, but for anyone who doesn't know, you're Vice President and Chief Economist at ATB. That is correct. Yeah. And you said 13 years you've been doing that role? 13 years, yeah. I I got the vice president little title about four years ago, but I've been the chief economist for 13 years at ATB Financial. Okay. And aside from being out there and being the voice of ATB, and I don't, maybe that's an oversimplification (laughs) when you're out there, what what is the role of a chief economist for anyone who's like, you know, it's one of those titles I think you hear, but what does a chief economist actually do? Well, my role is a little bit different, I would say, than a lot of other chief economists, say other chief economists economists at the other uh, big banks or at other organizations. But my role within ATB is I do oversee a little bit of a forecasting team. So we make a forecast of where we see Alberta's economy going, and we update this every quarter. That feeds into all of our different lines of business at ATB to help them uh, maybe make their budgets, maybe understand where the economy is moving, try to understand some of the realities that we're experiencing. So that would be maybe about 10 or 20% of my role. The other, the bulk of my role, however, is I travel throughout the province and I do a lot of presentations probably five or six a week on an average week. Oh, that's a busy week. It's a busy week. So it keeps me actually uh, on on the move, on the go a lot. I travel mostly Edmonton, Calgary, but then, you know, I make it to the smaller centers. I'll be in Lethbridge next week, for example, Grand Prairie, uh, a lot in Banff because there tend to be a lot of conferences there. Okay. Um, And I would deliver a presentation talking about where Alberta's economy is going, but also some of the big themes that are affecting the Alberta and Canadian economy, say, over the next decade. Topics like the future of work and all of that. What does that mean? I saw some of your recent articles about that. I didn't get a chance to read it, but getting into AI and the potential disruption in the way work gets done and the way we engage with the workforce. So... so not only are you looking to the future, you're out there in Alberta. This is a very Calgary-centric collisions YYC, but again, we live in an ecosystem. You can't, right. Nothing's in a bubble. So you're getting a real good feeling for the vibe that's out there on the streets, the sentiment. We're, we're five years in to this journey of transformation, and we'll talk about transformation in a second. What's the pulse out there? What are you sensing when you're going to these small towns like Calgary, Edmonton, these things, Red Deer, rural? Yeah. What, what are you sensing? What are you seeing out there? Well, it it really does depend on which town or community you're in. Some uh, tend to be a bit more optimistic because in some ways they never even really saw the downturn. Lethbridge, for example, is a great example of a city. Its its economy is much more diversified and it has very little exposure to oil. 
uh, unlike Calgary or Fort McMurray, for example, or okay. Red Deer. So Lethbridge has been in a little bit of a pocket all on its own. It's seen slow but very steady growth uh, over the last five or six years. It has it didn't see a recession. It's seeing some really good investment coming in around agri-food, agriculture and agri-foods, yes. some of the food processing facilities there. So it's got a nice balanced economy. But you get to other communities, uh, say like uh, Cold Lake or Bonneville uh, or Lacklebish, these are towns and communities that are almost entirely beholden to oil and gas. And they have seen, you know, they just had the stuffing kicked out of them. Uh, So there is a feeling of uh, discouragement and disappointment in some of those other communities. And then you get to communities, say, like Grand Prairie or or like Red Deer, which are exposed to not just oil and gas, but also agriculture. They tend to be a little less uh, even, you know, it's up and down a bit. Um, But certainly the energy sector, uh, the drag that that has been on the provincial economy, you feel that in almost every town and community. It's hard to have a conversation without that being somewhere in the underpinning. It's so interesting, though, the case that it, not that we're going to sit here and say diversification isn't a good strategy, but when you talk about Lethbridge, and I hadn't had a chat with anybody about that, to hear that 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 they weren't so reliant on oil and that there was a broader diversification in place there quote unquote, before they needed it to be, right. that they actually made it through with not as much of a downturn. I've not heard that story. That's really interesting. Yeah, well, it's a little bit of the story of the tortoise and the hare, you know, and we all know who, how that story, that parable ends up. But Lethbridge really is the tortoise. And I think for a long time, uh, Lethbridge, maybe people in Lethbridge looked at other cities like uh, Calgary or Fort McMurray that were booming. And they weren't seeing the boom. They didn't see the the price valuations in their houses rising. They didn't see all these new jobs coming in. And, you know, it might have been a bit demoralizing for them because they didn't seem to be sharing in the boom times. The grass looked greener, for sure. Yeah, but certainly over the last five years, while the rest of the province, most of the rest, has really struggled, uh, Lethbridge has been plodding along, you know, even Stephen, slow but steady growth. So uh, it doesn't seem like such a bad spot to be in. Uh, so interesting. Back to the crystal ball. How do you know? When whatever your reality is happens to be in the moment and your job is to look to the future. But yeah. you know, even as individuals running our own household, sometimes we look across the street and go, How oh, why are they doing so much? And a joke a friend of mine told me years ago, Tyler, you don't know who owns that car. Maybe they own it, but maybe the bank owns it. So you never know. Yeah, <laughs> so be careful right. what you look across. Yeah. So coming back to the big T word, you know, one of the I think that if we had a corporate swear jar, transformation would be one of those words that would get you <laughs> get you in there. When you look at transformation, we'll talk about Calgary specifically and this, you know, the economy, and we talked a little bit offline of what it's not it's not it's coming back slowly but it's not going to be what it was so when you think about transformation from your perspective what does that mean what does that word resonate to you and specifically in reference to calgary yeah it is a it's a growing process and it can feel a little bit slow uh, and long and that's why i think a lot of calgarians are feeling discouraged and disappointed because you know we've we're about almost six years now in from when oil prices first collapsed in 2014 that was june of 2014 that's but right. we've so 2015 and 2016 we were shell shocked. We were a, a, an economy in free fall. Uh, our economy shrank about eight, almost eight percent in those two years, and then we came crawling out of it in 17. But now in in uh, 18, 19, and in 2020, we're just seeing this flatness. So when we talk about transformation, it is not happening instantly. Uh, when I think about diversity, uh, the best metaphor I love to talk about or to use is uh, 
the idea of a forest fire and the regeneration of a forest. Right. It, it will grow back, but it's not going to be it overnight. It will grow back, yeah. But very quickly, you will see a lot of green shoots. There was a photo of, a famous photo. I wish I would have kept it. It was on Insta or something like that. After the forest fire in Fort McMurray, mm-hmm. someone had taken a picture from Highway 63 of the devastation. And then they took a picture exactly one year later from the same spot on the highway. And the two pictures were striking in contrast. The second picture was full of greenery because a lot of green shoots, there's a lot of nutrients in the soil. When the sunshine in in June of 17 came up, uh, a lot of green shoots came up. But that is not yet a diversified, healthy, balanced forest. It's the beginning of one. But that forest is going to take 80 years to regenerate. Right. So when we think about Calgary's economy, I, you know, I don't want to push the forest fire metaphor too much because we, we haven't been devastated. But certainly we do see this transition um, adding to our energy sector, which is maybe not the growth engine, but it's the backbone of our economy. But now we were seeing more industries moving in, uh, the green shoots of diversity, the green shoots of transition. But it takes a while. My guess is this is going to be for Calgary a, a 20 to 30 year process until we end up feeling like now we've achieved the balanced, uh, healthy economy and, and we've gone through that transition fully. 20 to 30 years, it's easy to sit here in this environment and go, that sounds very realistic. And, you know, but un- understanding someone who has been dislodged from a career that they kind of had signed on to for the right. long term. So what would you say, or maybe I'm putting you on the spot a little bit with this question, what would you say with somebody like, yeah, it's going to be better like in 20 years, yeah. not that it's not going to be small incremental improvements, about the people that are dealing with the challenges right now? Is it, yeah, what, what do you, yeah. that's a tough one. That's a tough one. It is tough. And I never like to sound uh, flippant or, you know, saying, oh, well, we just need to get to the next 20 or 30 years because that doesn't pay the bills for a lot of people who aren't working today. Yes. So I understand that. And I, and I get the devastation on, on, for the individual level, the household level. I've been unemployed twice in my 30 years in Calgary. I might be unemployed again at some point in the future. And that's never easy. But it really is part of, I think, building um, a long-term, what we might use the word career. Uh, You're going to go through these periods of transition, and some of that might mean unemployment. It's a little bit, so here's my metaphorical mind going again. It's a little bit like the snakes and ladders game. You know, you go up ladders, but then there's snakes that yes. take you back down. And we hate the snakes. We don't want the snakes. We, we try to avoid the no, snakes. No, I want a, I want a nice steady up, like nice hockey stick. Nice steady up, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's that is realistic. just, it's not realistic and it, it's not reality. And I would also say, you know, for a lot of people who are without work or find that their career trajectory has ended on them, they might very likely look back at this period of time and say, you know, that was actually the best thing that could happen to me. I would never want to tell someone face-to-face who just got laid off on that because they're going to want to punch me in the face. You might get a black eye. Yeah, you might get a black eye. But when I look back at my two periods of unemployment, uh, I thought I had a very nice career trajectory in, in, in mid-1990s with a, with a big C-suite company here in Calgary. Um, but it ended on me, and I felt like I was in free fall. But you look back on it and say, actually, that was the best thing that could happen for me because it opened up new and different opportunities for me. And that's so powerful sometimes. You know, it's so easy to coast. 
Yeah, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you get that you get that jarring experience. And I've had recently some guests on, and they talked about traumas and losing a job and like a brutal car accident. And someone who dealt with mental health issues, they all said the same thing. In hindsight, best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to relook and take stock of everything. Yeah, and that's hard to do at the moment, but overall. So let's let's pivot. We're not going to. This is this is about talking about where we're headed. Let's go back to those green shoots. Mm-hmm. So what are you seeing? Like, what's working? Is it technology? Is it the merger of different industries coming together? Like, what's that one year later photo? What are you, what are you seeing in terms of industry diversification? Who's, who's growing? Yeah, well, certainly the tech sector is one that gets a lot of attention because it's kind of sexy. It's kind of it glamorized. Is, you know, it's very sexy. We see these other cities like Vancouver and Waterloo, and they're just booming with, it, with their tech sectors, and, and we kind of want that too. And I think we, we are certainly seeing the green shoots of that development here in Calgary. But I think our tech sector in the long run will grow and be healthy, but it'll look very different than Waterloo or Vancouver or Austin, Texas. We will have our own unique tech sector. A lot of that might be tech companies, service providers that feed into our traditional industries like energy and agriculture. So it might be a, a bit specialized that way. But certainly we are seeing it. We've got on paper all of the right ingredients in this city. To I've had that come up in the show before. It's like we have the right ingredients for the cake, but we're still getting the cake together. Yeah. And it takes a while you know, yes. to, to build that tech sector. If you go back and ask uh, people who were involved with Austin, Texas, they did a sort of a transformation. Yes. But the woman who headed that up, she was up here in, um, well, she's in Edmonton now with Alberta Innovates. But, you know, she talks about that being a a 25-year process for Austin. It didn't happen overnight. Even Vancouver, uh, they've got a a booming tech sector now, but that didn't happen overnight either. That's been growing for at least two decades. So Calgary, where you're maybe a little earlier on those on that uh, path towards building a tech sector, but I certainly see the the right ingredients and also the green shoots proving to me that in fact we are a city that that can and, and will grow our own unique tech sector. There is a level of resiliency here, and I know we talked about offline about the challenges. Like the cha- sorry, challenges are going to come. How you respond to them, mm-hmm. You're, and part of why I did, why I got involved and we decided to do the show was so much about wow, you hear all these pockets, but they don't always get the media. They don't always get the yeah. buzz because the negative buzz I think is still a little too loud in Calgary. I want to turn that down a little bit, turn up the positive. I ask this question usually at the end, but I think it's relevant right now because you have such a cross section of your view of the world, even as an economist, but also being out there in the economy. Is there some industries that you believe should, should collide together a little bit? Like I've had people say, you know what? Oil and gas and ag need to get together because ag has de-risked things years ago that oil and gas is still hesitant to go forward with. That's just an example. Uh, Transportation and logistics, healthcare. Is there any industries, if you had a choice to say, you know what, if these guys got together in a room and banged around some ideas, they could both benefit from each other and move things forward, quote unquote, faster? Yeah, well, one that comes to mind is the tech sector and our traditional energy sector. Okay. And I hesitate to bring this up because I know there's already all kinds of work being done. It's not that I'm the first one who's had this idea. But when I think about diversity, even within our energy sector, so it doesn't mean we have to pivot away from energy, but it does. It might mean we have to enlarge what we mean by our energy sector. Oh, that's interesting. I like to redefine. I like redefining things. Mm. Redefining it. So traditionally, for Alberta, it's been oil, gas, coal, the hydrocarbons. You know, right. now we need to build on those. Not. I wouldn't say shift away. They're not sunset industries. We're going to be producing hydrocarbons for a long time. But we have to add to that renewable energy. The one that I love to talk about is deep earth geothermal electricity. 
Interesting. And this is where we could see a collision of energy and, and traditional uh, geology with some of the tech sector, the nanotechnology, the 3D printing technologies. Because to generate uh, geothermal electricity in a country like Iceland is pretty easy because you've got lava basically... Literally at the surface. Literally at the surface. So you stick a pipe 10 feet in the ground and you can create steam and spin a turbine. In Alberta, the geology is not best situated for this there is heat but you got to get down so deep that the economics of it tend to fall apart okay but that's why i say well that's the nut then to crack if it's a technical problem we're really good in this province at drilling through two kilometers of rock to get to something when it comes to the geologists we would say we have the best in the world we, and, that, and the know-how to do exactly what you just described absolutely the best geology the best drilling technologies in yes. this province so we can springboard off of that that already exists here and a lot of those geologists at the moment they need something to do they've got some they've got the <laughs> skill and they've got time they've got some slack time they um, do <laughs> so is there a way we could start to build now again this is a moonshot this is not an industry that you know a startup in 6 months is going to be making any money because in a lot of ways those technologies don't yet exist but can we here in Alberta be the world leader in developing those technologies. This might take 10 or 15 or 20 years. Right. The same way we grew our oil sands, that did not work economically or uh, it, it didn't make money for decades. But, but, with, the, but there was a willingness to invest for the long term. The long term. And with improvements in technology, they got better and better and better. And also price signals eventually by the I'd say the 90s, yes. uh, oil sand production was economically feasible. It kind of it caught up with itself. It caught it up, sense. yeah. So now what's the next moonshot you know, for Alberta? And this is where I keep coming back to deep earth geothermal. It's a bit of a, a pet project for me, actually. I can see that there's some passion for it. Yeah, because um, I keep going back to what are all the experts right now saying it's impossible in Alberta? That's what you want to do. Because we have a history in this province of taking the impossible, even agriculture. Don't, don't tell me I can't. <laughs> yeah, don't tell me I can't. What should be on our license plate is, you know, Alberta. Anything is possible. You know, because that... I'd get behind think, that change. Yeah, I'd get behind that. <laughs> because I think that's the mentality that has driven this province for the last, you know, 150 years, even before we were a province. Um, going back more than 100 years, 1880s, the King of England, he sent out John Palliser, the explorer, to go explore what we now call the Prairie Provinces, what at the time was the Northwest Territories. The king said, go explore, come back and tell me what you find. And Palliser came back and he described this part of southern Alberta and Saskatchewan. He described it as totally unsuitable for agriculture. He basically said, forget about it. It's a wasteland. It's too shrubby. It's, it's too dry. There's nothing there but buffalo. He said, it's not worth pursuing. I've never heard this story. Yeah. And the funny thing is, Palliser in 1880, he wasn't wrong. He was dead right. It was not suitable for agriculture of 1880. What he could not see coming were decades of waves of immigrant farmers settling the prairies. He didn't see the CPR. He didn't see heavy government investment in in, uh, irrigation systems in dryland farming techniques, the biosciences of dryland farming. Well, of course, now today we're a world leader in agriculture, but that didn't happen right off the bat. In fact, it was said to be impossible. The second moonshot then being the oil sands. People saying, well, you're never going to be able to make this economically viable. Sure, there's oil in that sand, but there's no possible way this is going to be you know, competitive. 
Well, we made that happen. So in 2020, or in the, the 2020s, what is now the next moonshot for Alberta? Interesting. So it might be deep earth geothermal electricity, or it might be something I don't even, that's not even on my radar yet. I don't know. But we make the impossible possible in this province. That's a tagline I can really get behind. I like that a lot. So getting into a little bit of what you said, I, interesting, I like the, well, here's the track record. Here's the example. So what's next? Who's required? Is that a combination? Is that private industry? Is that government? Is that external investment yeah. coming into this province? Like, how can we make something? And I'm putting you on the spot even yeah. more. No, how, like, what, what would you see as an economist? What mechanisms would need to be in place for something for that to even start moving, to start the 20-year train? It's a great question because when people say to me, you know, shouldn't we be doing more to diversify? Uh, well, the question is, who is we? Yes, it kind of hangs out there as this undefined, is it really the job of the provincial government to diversify? Is it the jobs of industry associations? Is it, you know, the chambers of commerce? Is it ATB financial? Whose responsibility is it to diversify? I want to say yes to every one of those options. (laughs) Well, I do think they all play an important role for sure, but I don't think it's as easy as it's up to the government or it's up to, you know, economic development offices. It's a shared responsibility. In the past, the way we have seen these moonshot technologies like the irrigation canals, like the investments in the oil sands, government at that time did play a heavy role in investing money, a lot of money. I mean, if anyone thinks the oil sands is strictly a market phenomenon, it required a lot of uh, government investment early on, the AOSTA program. In 2020, we as Canadians, as Albertans, we have a more nuanced relationship with our governments. There's not the same well appetite. <laughs> There's not the same appetite, even by any political party, to really be, you know, that interventionist or that, you know, heavy investing of dollars to make something happen. And people could argue, you know, reasonable people can debate if they should or if they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we're in a spot right now where no governments really have an appetite to do that. And I would also say citizens don't really have an appetite to do it. So if you take out heavy government investment, what does that leave? Well, it leaves industry. It leaves academia. All of them right now are strapped for cash. Um, All of them would like something to happen, but probably don't have enough Um, financial clout on their own to make it happen. So it might need, you know, more cooperation between government, industry, academia, uh, the not-for-profits, all of them, uh, saying, how can we work together to move this boulder in the right direction? As resources become more scarce, what do you do? You you, you band up. You come, yeah. you, come, you come together and, you know, what that village of the future looks like. You're right. It's, it's interesting. Everyone's a little bit scared to act right now. There's a lot of fear out there. You know, like, and as far as government, you're right. If the citizens don't have an appetite for the government to do that, then that would be a short-lived strategy by that government if they, Absolutely. If, if, if they yeah. did it. And, and that's, governments that's don't have any money. <laughs> you know, like they're all yes. trying desperately to uh, move towards even a balanced budget. And, and that's going to be a, a, a challenge for them already. So, you know, this idea of asking them to, you know, outlay tens of, of billions potentially of ongoing for a long period of time ongoing because if you go in a couple of years and then don't continue your investment those right. first couple of years become yeah. a loss very quickly and investing in something that probably isn't going to have much payback for 20 or 30 years that's a big ask you know it's maybe aspirational for an election for a four-year cycle <laughs> absolutely yeah it's almost not realistic no but yet if we don't like the time's going to pass no matter what Right, and if we're not setting ourselves up, it's interesting when you get into you kind know, of what that looks like, and 
be deliberate about what those green shoots turn into. Yeah. And 30 years, I know, sounds like a long time, even 20 years. It sounds like, well, that's so long. But when we think about it, every listener will remember Y2K. That was 20 years ago. Yes. Time really goes by quickly in in a lot of ways. So it is going to be 2040 before we know it, and then 2050. 2060, I always say a 10-year-old child today will sort of be at the peak of his or her career in 2060. It's not that far off. And, and, we, and we literally have no clue what they might be doing. That's we right. Can't no even, clue. I can't even fantasize, hallucinate what that might be. Yeah. Jobs that don't even exist you know, now. And we can't even conceive. Like, and right. that, we're getting to a place where it's so hard to come up with something. like what, what, the, what the mind, if you can't, I joke the old adage, if you can't go there with your mind, you'll never go there with your wallet. Kind of the idea of, of just retail. And if I can't picture myself buying it, how would I ever go do that? If we can't picture ourselves creating it, don't even know what that is, that's pretty hard. Because we just look yeah. to the things we know and, and try to lean in a little bit harder right. on maybe the things that are no longer working. Well, and it's an interesting natu- perspective. It's a human impulse to, when you're faced with a crisis or you're faced with uncertainty, it's an impulse to want to get back to the way it used to be. The, oh, you mean the good old days? The good old days, you know, and you know, Donald Trump, he won an election telling Americans, we just need to get back to where we used to be. And that resonated, that message really connected with... Because I'm very uncomfortable with today. Very uncomfortable, very fearful. You know, yes. millions of Americans are not living the the global financial dream. They are stuck. They're trapped. Yes. And they long for getting back to how it used to be. However, the reality is it's, it's, it's a lie to tell anyone we can just go back to where we used to be. You can only move forward, uh, hopefully making the right decisions. You can learn and maybe say, I want to bring these things. But you're, you're right. We are very nostalgic that way. Yeah. And we feel that here in Alberta, too. We do. There's many Albertans who are, are prepared to move forward and, 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 and get on with building something new, adding to our energy industry. But there are still uh, those you know, out there saying, we just need to get back to the fundamentals. We need to get oil back. We need to get more pipelines. We need to get back to how we used to be. And I, I understand that sentiment, but I don't think it's, I think it's misguided to, to focus on that. I think you're, I joked offline. I'm, I'm joking. I'm too young to say, remember the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> I really own that. And like, let's move to the future. So being not negative, but realistic, any, what do you think we're not doing well? Like what's the, the question I like to ask, what's not working in Alberta right now in terms of, in terms of our move forward? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that there is a level of negativity that has kind of settled over Calgary. And I hate talking about that. I really do. Because I've lived in this city 31 years. Well, this, you're an inherently positive guy. I, I am. I really I'm appreciate that about your, the way you position your everything in the media. Yeah. There's always a sense of reality, but optimism. So I know it was maybe a hard question to ask you. Well, and maybe that's why for 31 years, Calgary has been my home. Because there has been a level of optimism in this city. A level of we can do anything in this city that's always connected with me personally. So maybe that's why I've always felt at home when I moved here uh, instantly. And um, But over the last couple of years, I feel like there is this kind of shadow of negativity that's settling in on us. And I really hope that this is not a permanent situation. But I hear more and more people saying, we can't do it. We can't do, you know, we can't do this. We can't do that. It's going to cost too much money. It's, you know, and while I certainly appreciate the realities of financial possibilities we need to always live within our means, I do find more people saying no than yes to projects moving forward. And if we get stuck in that, this is my my worry, uh, you get stuck in that mentality. And I'm not going to pick on any particulars, but you look at other places in, in Canada right now, 
um, their problem economically isn't so much taxes or geography. It's a negative mentality. It's a can't-do mentality. Well, mindset drives so much. Oh, absolutely. And even the individual when, becomes the collective very quickly. Yeah. And when a visitor or maybe a potential a tech company that's potentially looking to, to relocate to Calgary, if they come here and spend a few days and they talk to people and they interview people, if they're picking up a negative vibe, uh, why on earth would you want to move to that city? You know, that's what I really worry about. We need to be realistic that things aren't great for sure, but we need to be optimistic that things can improve. And that positive mentality, I think, will go a long way. So if there's one thing we're not doing right, I would say there is a bit of that negative mentality that's hanging over us right now that we need to figure out. You're so right because it's it's the glasses you wear. It's the you know there's rose colored glasses and then there's like oh everything is dark and are dark and gloomy. Right. And then you miss opportunities when you've got that filter on. Yeah, absolutely. But still be realistic. Like yeah. we're not talking about you know sunshine and roses because we are in a tough time. But you know I had Jim Gibson on one of my first guests and he talked about that about just like what's required for change and he brought it back to the individual. He's like mm. we can talk about governments and businesses, but is it still a collection of individuals? And if we get negative, we're not open for doing things in a new way. The, our our organizations are not going to save us because as individuals we're not in that right place. That's and it right. just brought it yeah. right back to this big this this broad problem. But at the end of the day, it's still a collection of individuals. Yeah. And how do you stay positive when things are you know? I would argue, hopefully, by listening to podcasts like this, where we actually show you know what there is some things going on. That's part of why we did it. Yeah. Um, I, pre- I I appreciate that one, and that's a tough one because it's a bit esoteric, but it's very real. Mm-hmm. So curious a question. I like to ask this to people as well. If we were going to build a dashboard, you and I are we're going to do our KPIs. We're going to you know you 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 do this on a regular basis in your own in your in your world what are some of the indicators we we need to look for to say hey we're moving the needle quote unquote we're moving in the right direction is it investment is it startups is it jobs is it net new migration what are the things you look at what's on your dashboard well there are a couple of i mean i track probably 40 indicators i know you do (laughs) probably the most qualified person i've ever asked this question to but there are some that i pay more attention to than others the one anything having to do with the job market and the labor market because that for Every individual, this is where the economy really becomes real, is do I have a job or am I going to lose my job or are my kids coming out of university? Are they going to find work? So employment is always top of mind and it becomes a very emotional issue um, around the economy. No one really gets too emotional about manufacturing shipments or Bank of Canada overnight rates. I mean, all these sort of esoteric things that economists might worry about, but At the human level, people connect with jobs and work and employment. So any of those indicators that come out that show are we moving in the right direction, the challenge is you got to look at a lot of different indicators to get a good picture of what's going on. And too often, economists were maybe our worst enemies at this, but we look at one number, the unemployment rate, and we want to make a lot of inferences around that. Right. It's one piece of the puzzle, but it can be a misleading one. Because if people become discouraged and they quit looking for work, or if they're leaving town, the unemployment rate can actually fall. And you don't want to read that as, oh, the unemployment rate's falling, we're on the right track. You need your other numbers as like net new migration or people leaving Calgary. So you mentioned net migration. That is another one that I love. We only get quarterly data on this interprovincial migration, but I love watching that because people will vote with their feet. They will move to where they think the opportunities are, and they will leave those places where you're not seeing opportunities. And in for Alberta, we don't, unfortunately, we don't have them at the city level. We only have Alberta numbers interprovincial. 
But there were eight consecutive quarters between 2015 and 2017 where we did see a net outflow of people. And that's not surprising. Every recession you look at. Well, there is a balancing effect that happens too as well. And that's just also like, it's negative, but it's also, we had such an influx. I remember moving here in 2000, I feel like every year the numbers were, and when the number was positive, it got touted all the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. huge. And if you looked at this graph of of interprovincial migration, there was this enormous wave, tens of thousands of people uh, between the early 2000s and and 2015 that were coming to Alberta. Then it turned negative, but it was really a trickle of people leaving. It was not a mass exodus. You go back to the 80s, that was an exodus of people, Mm. you know, a stampede of people leaving the province. 2015, 2017, it was negative, but it was only really barely negative. Okay, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, and now we've returned to positive. Barely positive, but it's on the right side of zero. Not to the inflow we were seeing in 2012, 2013, but it's returned to positive. So to me, I think that indicates that we have turned a corner, but we're just not rebounding in a quick way. We're not snapping back to where we used to be. Well, and you said that earlier, that this is things are getting better. I read yeah. some of your predictions for 2020 in the owl and like slow growth. Slow. Yeah. This is not a hockey stick, which I think, you know, I think that's a little bit of the old, that I wish it was like it was kind of mindset. Yeah. So from your perspective, you're seeing indicators on our dashboard, which you are, you have your dashboard that we are moving in the, in, in, in the positive direction, but it's very slow, probably slower than quote unquote, some people would like. That's right. And there are okay. a few pieces that we have yet to see fall into place in 2020, which could move the needle either way. We could dip back into something recession-like, or we could, you know, growth could pick up even a little bit more. A couple of those big decisions around the energy projects, uh, the tech mine, you know, we're waiting for approval from Ottawa on that. Um, some of these pipeline projects, uh, how they all go in 2020, I think will move that needle either, you know, down towards uh, slower growth or possibly a recession. But we're hoping, in fact, to see positive news on those and growth pick up a bit. What's your thoughts? And again, maybe this is an area you can't lean into too hard. A few things you just said, it feels like someone else is making that decision on our behalf. Yeah. We're waiting for Ottawa to let us know if it's okay. We're waiting for approvals at a, and I know there's a lot of angst in Alberta, especially in Northern Alberta. I've had conversations where I grew up, you know, I, I spend time in Toronto in my office there, the Toronto perception of Calgary and the Calgary perception of Toronto or Ottawa for that matter of get out of our business. It's, it's really negative right now. I don't know yeah. any thoughts on that without going too far outside your, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm pulling you into the, to an interesting question there. Every economic talk, eventually becomes political. And I'm not a political analyst, but um, I certainly understand why there is frustration in Alberta right now. Because, yeah, we feel a lot of these things are outside of our control. We're waiting for Ottawa's approval or, you know, even at a broader level, we're waiting for, um, you know, oil prices to do something. We have no control over oil prices. Zero control. Zero control. We're a price taker. And that's something we've always lived with. But yeah, our relationship with the rest of the country, maybe particularly with Ottawa, I get why there's frustration around Mm -hmm. that. But uh, I think it's something that we just have to keep sort of grinding on and moving forward and, and hoping for the best decisions for the country. Yeah, it's a tough one because when you're in a world where, to your point, you're in a town where your industry has been affected and you're looking for someone to blame, which I think there's multiple factors, Ottawa is an easy target. And I don't want to, this is not a political uh, podcast. And I grew up in Quebec where politics was the topic of conversation at every every dinner table. And I have to say, when I moved to Alberta, I was like, 
I looked around and I'm like, no one's talking about politics. This is kind of refreshing. <laughs> but it's kind of come full circle, and I get it. It is all yeah. intertwined into, into the world we live in. Well, and this isn't the first time there's been you know this level of alienation. Yes. Uh, if I grew up in Alberta, so I remember the 1980s, and there was a very similar sense of you know where we, we've had it, and Ottawa is you know ruining everything that yes. it touches, and and these things kind of go in waves. But we're at a point now where uh, you know people want to scapegoat, they want to blame Ottawa for everything. I'm certainly not here to defend what Ottawa has been doing on it, but yes. I think everyone really understands it's a more complicated picture than just saying. Ottawa, you know, bad, Alberta, good. It is a much more complicated. Yes, that's the oversimplified version. Way of oversimplified. It. Yeah. Like anything, as you peel back layers, things become much more complex. Yeah. And this is a multi-pronged. No one thing is going to. Price of oil shoots up. That doesn't change our stars tomorrow. That's right. It's a move in the right yeah. direction. We get access to markets that could change, but I think a bunch of things need to drop. And at the same time, and you and I touched on it, this downturn. I'm not going to say any way it's a positive, and but. If it gives us the kick in the pants to diversify and look at yeah. other, look at replanting some trees and getting, I'll go back to, I'm going to use your forest analogy, more green shoots. I'm going to take the positive that that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, and in some ways, you know, if we think about a scenario where all the pipelines get approved tomorrow, uh, more investment in oil sands, we have $100 WTI oil, basically back to what we were in 2013. Is that really in the best long-term interests of the province? Some people might say, yes, that's exactly what we want. But that kind of chokes out all these green shoots that are now starting to come up. Yeah, because then the canopy closes over top and they can't get sun. Absolutely. I always describe we have a love-hate relationship with our energy sector. Heavy on the love, yes. but we also understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Heavy on the love, but we also understand when that energy sector is booming, it makes it really challenging for anybody outside of oil and gas to hire people, to attract capital, yes. to attract e even getting office space. I mean, this was Calgary, Calgary's problem in 2013, 2014, is that companies outside of oil and gas, they couldn't get office space in Calgary. It was too expensive. So well, now we've the, got the a bit fight of the opposite. For, the fight problem. for talent and the bar talent, being set yeah. almost too high. There was other problems that we were willing to be, well, it's okay because it's booming over here, but you're right, non-oil and gas businesses being involved with a lot of different business leaders and executives, there's a lot of grumbling going on too. There were problems. It wasn't It wasn't perfect. Right, yeah. <laughs> Our memories of roman romancing the past <laughs> weren't, weren't perfect. Nope. Um, a couple questions. Obviously, you're out and about. You're very involved with the community any associations, and there's a lot, any you'd like to call out, you mentioned Alberta Innovates, I think earlier, I know mm -hmm. Calgary Economic Develops doing great things. Any, any, because part of this podcast is allowing other, like people to bump into some of these, maybe organizations or movements that they don't know about. Any that are top of mind for you or any that you'd like to give a shout out to in terms of like to get people aware of them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm always struck with the positive work that a lot of the economic development offices are doing around the province. Okay. So in Calgary, you know, Calgary Economic Development, but um, there's a really great uh, economic development group in Airdrie that every time I'm in that city, you know, there is a positivity there. Um, Airdrie is one of those, they live in a little bit of a pocket as well. Certainly they've seen a slowdown with the, with the rest of the province, but they didn't see a recession. Their growth slowed. But it still moves forward. Um, Leduc is another city like that with a really great chamber of commerce and an economic development strategy. Um, it's all around remaining positive and bringing businesses there, understanding the challenges, understanding it's not roses and sunshine, right. but always being positive. So I would say the economic development offices, and that goes for across, most across, of them, across the province. Yeah. 
That's so interesting. And I'm guilty. I think of Airdrie as almost like a Calgary suburb. <laughs> but when you speak it about is, it, its yeah. own ecosystem and just giving them giving yeah. them props for the way that they're managing things, I think is great. Well, to it's call a that city out. of 75,000 people now. Yes, you know? right. it's, it's almost as big as Red Deer. And my prediction is over the next 10 years, it, it could easily surpass Red Deer. Uh, in terms of Alberta's third largest city. Yeah, its economy, its population, you know, it remains very, very attached to Calgary. In a lot of ways, it is a suburb city. But it does have its own unique kind of vibe to it. It's got a little mm-hmm. downtown core. It's and got I know people that live culture. there, and they're very, like, yeah. they're proud that they live. No, no, I don't live in Calgary. I live in Airdrie, yeah. and it's great. And, for it, and I think as the city grows and community. attracts more of those things, um, people might have less and less reason to be driving into Calgary for shopping or for dinner or for you know cultural becomes more self-sustained in terms of like everything i need is right here yeah and i think as our world moves towards that value of like being in your community that it's almost like we're going back to the way we were before yeah like oh but i don't i can buy my groceries across the street i can walk to the dry cleaner i can do everything right here and not commute or be in my car as the world moves in that direction and alberta i think is going there as well um Words of advice, overarching. I'm either somebody who's in transition, I'm a business owner who's trying to diversify, I'm a startup. From your perspective, any words of advice or thoughts that you put out there for people? Well, it's a great question. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called this, uh, Spiders in Space, Adapting to Unwanted Change. Yes. And in that book, we talk a lot about when you are faced with unwanted change, like maybe the economy that we're seeing right now, uh, understanding how to pivot um, that's the biggest thing. For some companies, that pivot might actually mean we wind this company up and start something brand new. Mm. And I really don't want to talk about that in a cold, callous way, because I know for so many people, this business they've started, this is their, their blood, sweat, and tears. It's sometimes more everything. than a business. It's more than a yes. business, and I, and I understand that. But with every business, every single one, there is a lifespan to these businesses. Some are longer, you know, some like, Hudson's Bay has been going for 400 years, whatever. Some are going to be shorter, but every business eventually will face a transition and it might face a natural kind of ending point. So for some people, it might mean, that transition might mean, how do I wind up this business and then launch into something new? That's the transition. It doesn't need to be thought of as a failure or a death, but it needs to be thought of as transitioning to something new. For those companies that are still viable, they keep going, uh, it might mean what are our core competencies as a business and how might we spin that off into new opportunities? A really great example, this was a few years ago, and I don't remember the name of the the company, but it was in Rocky Mountain House. Uh, This was about five years ago. It was a welding company, and its specialization was welding pipe uh, for, for the natural gas sector. But they were able to pivot. They realized, well, our core competency is actually working with metal and welding, not necessarily natural gas. That's just the industry we applied it that's, to. Yeah, that's how they applied it. But they were able to spin off a whole new, brand new market of designing and building horse trailers, which required welding. Well, this is a totally different industry. But they were able to spin their core competencies, what they did really well, into a brand new opportunity. So I guess if there's any advice, you know, think about the natural lifespan of of businesses, but also think about what are your competencies and how might you spin that off into a new opportunity. That's, that's such good advice. And we, we talked a little bit before about just how many times we talked about even the term career. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's not, it's less about a career. It's like the thing you're doing right now and how each set of skills will ladder up into something different and almost giving up that old mindset of like, this is the thing I'm going to do and I'm going to do it 
to the end of days. It's just, it's also just not really the world we live in anymore. That's right. In the 20th century, we would have grown up. Every kid growing up was being asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. What mm-hmm. occupation, you know? What career are you going to follow? And that put a lot of pressure on us then when we started university or college, because now it's like, I have to pick a career, and a lot of stress around that. In the 21st century, I think the word career is becoming a bit old-fashioned and a bit outdated. And rather than looking at what career do I want, it's more important that individuals early on start to identify, what are my core traits that I'm really good at naturally doing? Is it organizing people? Is it problem solving? Is it building things with with my hands or with the physical environment? What am I really good at doing? And then how do I translate that into any number of different opportunities in different industries? Because the world, some listeners will remember that video game Frogger. This is the one I'm using in my presentation. You know, it I've was been never, around long enough. I yeah, do. You remember I remember Frogger. I do. I absolutely yeah, do. I guess there's a new one called Crossy Road. That's what people under well, 30 or kids will know. Today. Nothing's really new, right? It's nothing's just it's new. been repackaged. <laughs> repackaged. The graphics are way better today. But the, <laughs> you and I would be. I think we'd look at Frogger now and be like, "Wow, we actually." But it was relevant at the time. But. People will remember the Frogger game. It was never a straight line across that road and across the river. It was always, here's an opportunity, and now i got to go back one and two to the left and three forward. And it was a very zigzag line, but it was always watching out for the dangers. But when you're crossing the river, where are the opportunities? Where's the next floating log or... Again, this will only make sense to Frogger players. but <laughs> Aficionados. Yeah, the, the, the logs and the turtles. Where are the opportunities? And that's the way people in the 2020s are going to have to think about their jobs and uh, employment and income. Not so much what's my career, but rather how do I apply my, my key competencies in any number of shifting opportunities. And doing that in alignment with a business that's also going through change and allowing both you to support up towards the business, but also them bringing you along on that journey and allowing you to pivot and do different things. To me, that that feels like that's optimistic. Like yeah. That leaves me with a very like, yeah, the future is going to be different, but that's okay because we've got skills and we're going to find a place where there's a need and we're going to apply them. Yeah, That, to me, I can get behind. Yeah. And sometimes there's a, a, an interesting tension that exists. And again, drawing back from something we were writing about in the Spiders and Space book, you know, this advice that uh, in order to adapt to change, you have to be multiple things at the same time. And some of those things seem contradictory. Mm. One of them, for example, is if you are going to adapt to change, you have to be laser focused on your goal, which seems like good advice. But the other piece of advice is you also need to be flexible and adaptable. And sometimes those two pieces of advice seem contradictory. And knowing when do I focus and you know stick with my goal, right. and when do I bend and flex and, and adapt, uh, that takes some wisdom. And that is not easy. You know, There's no seven easy steps to figuring this out. No, and you're going to get it wrong some of the time, and you're going to get it right some of the time too. But like, yeah. like what you said, just when, it, when you get it quote-unquote wrong, it doesn't mean that it was a failure. Right. Like that whole, let's redefine failure as learning. Yeah. And that's easy to say now in our soft, comfortable chairs as we're having a chat. But that is what it takes today because we don't always know the answer, but we know we need to go in a certain direction. That's good advice. And yeah. it, it, it's keeping that top of mind when the pressure's on. And I think that's the hard part. Right. And taking risks that are uh, understanding, is this a fatal risk if you know, or is this just a learning risk? Yeah. That takes a little bit of wisdom and experience. Am I going to lose a limb or am I just going to get a, maybe a scrape? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and, being, and having the courage to do that, because it does, change takes courage. Yeah. 
Well, we're getting very philosophical here at the end, Todd. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming in today. I appreciate your insights, your candor, and uh, the amazing work you do in our community. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And here's to a great 2020 for uh, Calgary and for all our province. Cheers to that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.